Welcome to the podcast, Work in Design. If I could take every single member of my team and track their career journey, it is never what they intended to do. I think designers sometimes are critiqued for the fact that they can create the idea, but can they make it happen? The thing that always gets me and makes me employ someone is them really understanding their own work and the passion with which they apply to describing it. In this series, we'll discover how you can work as a designer. I'm Kieran Bakewell, and I feel lucky to call design my job. I think it's rewarding work where you can really make a difference. I hope that I can help a new and diverse generation find their way into this fantastic career. I'll be interviewing practicing designers to find out exactly what they do, importantly, how they got there, and also discuss some of the amazing opportunities being a designer presents. So if you're a young, creative person, and you're wondering what jobs could suit you after school, or perhaps you'd already like to pursue a career in design, then this podcast could be for you. If you'd like to find out any more about any of the episodes or interview guests, please visit workindesign.co.uk. Today, I'm joined by Fiona Kennedy. Fiona's been working in design for over 20 years and is currently a leader in design at Education First, EF. EF operates schools in over 100 countries and has over 50,000 employees. I'm excited to hear about what role design plays in such a huge organisation. And of course, I want to know how Fiona got into design in the first place. Fiona, welcome. Thanks for joining us today. Nice to see you, Kieran. Fiona, I've known you for 15 years or something, and I think we've talked about your journey into design before, which is one of the reasons I really wanted to talk to you. So I'm just going to start by asking a bit of a broader question. And it's something I'm really interested in because I think the word design is sometimes misused, perhaps used to describe something of a higher quality or maybe a luxury item. So I think for many people, the word design can sound superficial or a bit snobby. So how would you describe the word design? Ah, That's a good question. In its broadest context... And most literal, it's the plan or specification of something. It's the creation of the plan or specification of something which you intend to build or construct. And it can be a system. It doesn't have to be a physical thing. And it's the role of doing that. I think in the context of what we do when we talk about design, it's very much on the outside of aesthetic and much more a problem-solving role and job that we do. And that's how we tend to frame it because our role in design, in the way in which we interact with it, it's a problem to be solved. You know, if someone put me on the spot and asked that question, I would probably just say quite simply, it's problem solving. And I think you pointed out there as well that it's not always visible. Sometimes you might not even know that there's a lot of design gone into what you've just experienced. Yeah, and it may not be a physical thing. Of course. So moving on to what your role in design looks like, could you maybe just describe what you do now? Yeah, so currently I am the global head of architecture and design for EF. They're the world's largest privately owned education company. Absolutely huge. And the role involves leading the architecture, interiors, product design, graphics, and touching on brand and web. And it's not only for physical environments, but also virtual environments. 
Wow, that is a very broad application of design. <laughs> yes. And you mentioned product in there as well. I'm guessing EF has a lot of bricks and mortar, you know, buildings that need constant design updates. Where does product design come into it? Product design can be quite broad from designing a chair for a classroom or a flex table. We've just come up with a whole new system, like a puzzle of flex tables for kind of mobile learning. But it can also be backpacks, tools for the students. So when a student joins, the things that they receive, so it can be anything down to a pencil or a notepad. Wow, that's really interesting. That sounds like you're designing the whole experience of taking part in EF's services. Yeah, exactly. And that's why, I mean, more recently, we're now working a bit more with brand and web so that that journey from the very first interaction that the student has with the business all the way through to the end where they reach the school and they have the teaching experience, where they live, the bed they sleep in, it goes straight from the beginning to the end of the journey. So I guess much like dealing with a company that everyone will probably know, Apple, you'd have an expectation of every experience of Apple, wouldn't you? You'd have an expectation of what that's going to look and feel like. Exactly. And on your career so far, have you got any highlights of your career so far? Oh, gosh. A lot of people ask that question. And to be honest, I have never been able to answer it with a specific thing because I think people expect that I would highlight those kind of notable projects that are well known, that are very big, that people visit a lot. I've enjoyed all of the projects for different reasons and I find it impossible to highlight one. I think in like the career journey, the interesting move that I made was moving from a very sort of strict design practice, then having my own practice and then going into a business where their predominant business is not design, it's education. So I think that's probably a shift that I never anticipated, but has been hugely rewarding. I would say that was a risk and a highlight. But in terms of projects, you know, you love them all in all their different scales and complexities. So I can't really highlight one individual. Well, I think pointing out there, taking risks and getting the rewards for them and moving about, I guess, and finding where you fit. Because I guess sometimes you take your values and what you want to do and then you go find the place to do that you know yeah some of these career moves happen organically don't they because am I right in saying that EF was a client for where you worked before yeah so EF were a client for quite a long time and it took I started by setting them up a small in-house team and I was an external consultant to them and they were just one of many clients but over time the amount of work and the complexity of the work, it became impossible not to set up a proper in-house team. They own over 500 buildings. So they tend to buy, not lease. And therefore the investment in their buildings is really high and they needed someone to take care of that, like creative control over those properties. It's kind of amazing they didn't have an in-house design team before. I know, but many companies do not and they have huge portfolios, but they outsource their work to various different designers. And we still do that. 
because we have a small in-house team and we collaborate with architects and designers worldwide, which is one of the best parts of our jobs. So I'm right in saying the first half of your career really sort of focused on interior design, interior architecture. And now obviously your application of design is way more broad. So in that sense, what are your favorite tools to get your job done on a day-to-day basis? Oh gosh, my favorite tools are my team. Yeah. <laughs> um, so interestingly, I still draw a lot, which people find unusual. I probably draw more than I should. But for me to really understand the projects, I also have to be super hands-on still, even though we're incredibly busy with multiple projects running simultaneously and teams all around the world working on them. But drawing, and I don't mean by hand, so I'm often seen drawing in 2D and it is my favorite way to understand a project. My best tools are my team without doubt and all their varied skills and talents. I completely understand that, you know, in in your role as a kind of leader, the physical doing of work is often people you're pointing in directions to do that. How do you communicate with them? Do you do a lot of face-to-face? I guess you do a lot of video calls as well. Yeah, so we're we're now in a different phase of work post-COVID. We were very much in person in a very traditional sense. And I think architects and interior designers have always worked in that way in the studio. So COVID was a big shock for us. However, I had run remote teams for 10 years. So I was completely comfortable with video calls and working through design virtually with my team. So it just meant that our London team extended to that. And yeah, so I completely value in-person teamwork yeah I think it brings out better results than anything else and we come together as a team as often as possible but we also work online with each other right and I guess I'm asking kind of digging into that question a little bit because I think I want to kind of get across the message of working in design isn't just about being able to draw for me it's a lot about communication and effective communication yeah it's interesting when you look for a good designer and the traits that you look for one of the key traits is communication how to communicate an idea succinctly and clearly and how to work with others and take criticism comfortably and take it on board like these are two really important traits It's to listen and to speak about what you're doing so that you can effectively communicate. And that's not only with your design team, it's with your clients, it's with the contractors on site, it's with every single person within the process. So being incredibly clear and direct, which people tell me I'm direct very often, but being very clear and direct about what you're trying to achieve is the only way you can achieve it. And I think designers sometimes are critiqued for the fact that they can create the idea, but can they make it happen? Can they build it? And communication is the key to getting something built. Of course. And I think perhaps it's sometimes a creative's or a designer's maybe Achilles heel in the sense that they maybe are a bit aloof. And and I think communication, if you're a creative person, 
maybe communication isn't the easiest part of the process for you. But I equally think you never want to be the world's best kept secret. You know, communication is key. Exactly. And I think now having people back in the studio and working together, I think everyone's really understanding the benefits of like this cross-pollination of ideas all the time around the table, which you don't get online. And it's helping us all communicate better again, I would say. Great. I'm going to get now into, I guess, some questions which are directly relatable to why this podcast exists. So did you always want to be a designer or did design come to you? So you know the answer to this, Kieran. <laughs> design absolutely came to me. It was an incredibly happy accident. So I had a very traditional academic education. I grew up in a very working class part of London. I went to a Catholic school and focused on English and maths. I loved art and I did do art. I couldn't do art and DT. You weren't allowed to do both. You had to pick one or the other. And I picked art and I also did art at A-level. That was what I loved, but what I had become good at and what I thought I needed to do was something more traditional at that stage. So I decided to study history and then focused on history of art. And I very much saw my career panning out in a museum curatorship. And so I left university and applied for a master's in the history of art. And then I took a year out before doing that master's, which was a very good idea because that year I started working at Seville Peach, which was a fairly small but very well regarded architecture and interiors studio. And I joined them as an assistant with absolutely no prior experience of design. And I learned on the job. So after six months, I realized I'm not going to do my master's in curatorship. And Seville was an amazing boss who was really open to working with different types of creatives. We had like fashion designers that joined us at points and and she really just enjoyed the creative process and brought us all in to this mad office of ideas. So I learned on the job there and I stayed there for 10 years and progressed to a senior design role where I was working on all of their projects as their interior designer. And that's how it happened. That's amazing. And you said you decided to go work at Seville Peach before starting your master's degree, did you intentionally go to work at Seville Peach or were you looking for a job in a creative business like that? Or was it just a job and was it that much of a happy accident? Yeah, no, that is a good question. So I knew her loosely and I'd always been interested in sort of interiors but I had worked at Liberty doing windows and displays like in between college time and I definitely chose to go there I did not think I would be an interior designer there I thought I would just thrive in a creative environment and I think I was very very shy when I came into it actually someone who I assisted at Seville Peach we still work together 25 years later so now we work together at EF. So he reminds me what I was like, but he was an architect. I think I felt quite intimidated by the world of architecture, to be honest. 
it wasn't a complete accident. I did look for a creative role, I would say. Okay. But that role was just intended to be a year. And it opened me up to an entire new world. I became completely fascinated with product design. And that's how we met, talking yeah. endlessly about products. So, yeah, it happened to me. But I think I was probably looking for it. That's great. And I just want to go back a little bit to when you said whilst you were at college, you did window displays for Liberty. How did that come about? Oh, gosh, I don't know. My entire family worked there at one point, all my siblings <laughs> doing various jobs. But I was really good at doing displays. I still am. I can tell you now, we're working on a project for EF in Ashridge. So it's a National Trust house. And they were like, Fiona, can you come and visual merchandise the shop? I was like, yes. I'll make a Panatone mountain at Christmas. I, I love doing display work. I don't know how I ended up there. You know, we were at college. We were just doing like summer jobs, weekend jobs. But it was something that I very much enjoyed and then did for a number of different. So I used to do display work and windows for a number of sort of smaller little boutiques, both in Brighton where I lived and in London where I used to come back to in the holidays. Right. I'm sort of getting a picture that really you should try through talking to a number of people, you know, just trying to go work in a creative role. Don't get too concerned about whether it's where you see yourself maybe in 20 years time. I think sometimes a lot of people's careers have happened, particularly from the beginning, quite organically. You go and get yourself in a creative role and then you can start to picture where you want your career to go just go and try don't get hung up too much on like say whether it's the perfect thing or not I completely agree so if I could take every single member of my team and track their career journey it is never what they intended to do so when I look for team members to join us you're looking for that kind of hunger the whole time. Like, what have they done before? Oh, wow, that was a weird job. You know, like tracking their journey. And what you're really looking for is that openness and that sense of sort of the adventure that design is. So we do a huge amount of internships. We have internships coming through all the time, work experience from super young. We take work experience as young as possible in our team because I know that I would have certainly valued that when I was young and I didn't have those opportunities. And I always say, like, send your kids, let them see how we work, we bring them on site, they understand the role, and you should do as many of those things as possible. And if you are interested in design, to really immerse yourself in that world to try and find as many opportunities because there are a huge amount of people like me out there that love having people come into the office with their fresh perspectives and help us out and ask questions. I think it's only by doing that do you really see the opportunities that are out there. I never considered that I would end up doing what I have ended up doing and it is an organic journey and that's what's so great about it. Yeah. Exactly. And I think just going back a little bit to what you said about being interested in art at school, and certainly I know when I was at school, I'm guessing we were there at similar times, I didn't really know how I was going to apply being interested in art and feeling like I was a creative person. You know, I thought I might be an artist. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's how sort of unexposed to how you can use creativity as a career 
I was. So I also completely advocate work experience, you know, particularly some of the degree courses that offer two years of degree and then your third year is working in the industry and then you go back for your fourth year. I think they're particularly useful. So great to know that that's something you agree with. And I guess on that note, when you said what you look for in people you're employing, do you think there are core skills that are good to have as a designer? And do designers have any common characteristics for good or bad? I think there are commonalities. And one of them is the sort of logical mind. I think particularly in the role that we have as architects and interiors predominantly on the team, there's a kind of logic there mixed at the same time with a kind of wild creativity that defies all logic. The balance of the two is what you look for. When I'm meeting designers, I often get just that moment where they're talking about something. The thing that always gets me and makes me employ someone is them really understanding their own work and the passion with which they apply to describing it. That's always the hook for me, really caring about something. And sometimes I've employed designers myself on my own team that were not interior designers and now have become them because I knew what that journey was. So I've met with people and thought, the thing that I need, you've got. And you can tell that from the way in which they communicate an idea. Would you say you've ever met anyone that perhaps has the ability to be a great designer or might be a great designer, but doesn't know how to communicate and therefore they fail at trying to do what they want to do? Yes, I have. And I have employed that person because I had a gut feel that although they lacked the ability to communicate their ideas well, their ideas were good. And I saw that there was a role within the team where they could build their communication over time, but they probably wouldn't be completely client-facing at the yeah. beginning. And I do think that you can get a lot of introverted people within the design industry. I think sometimes people work in a bubble and enjoy to work in a bubble, but it has to be a mixture of both. The problem is you can have someone who cannot communicate well within your team, within a specific role, if they have other talents. And we were talking in the team the other day about, I have to be analyzed as a manager, right? So I was like, come on, bring it on, guys. What are the good, bad things that I'm doing at the moment? And uh, someone said, you have the ability to draw out talent in people. Everyone isn't an all-rounder all the time. I think within a team, you have very, very specific personality types and skill sets and talents. And it's just how that comes together as a group. So you may not have a strong communicator within that group, but they may have another strength. But to be able to be client-facing and to get the job done, you have to have someone on the team doing that. And I guess part of your career journey has been working as a contractor yourself. Yeah. And in that position, you haven't got the luxury of working in a team and someone else can do the communication whilst you kind of draw things in a darkened room. So I guess that, you know, in some respects, people you've employed have been lucky to meet someone who can see that in them. So maybe, I guess, some advice for people interested or might think they're interested in design or might think they've got what it takes is... What I heard you say, and I guess is you don't necessarily have to have the whole package, be a great communicator, but I guess being aware of 
where you're good and where you're bad and knowing where you might need to try a bit hard is a good bit of self-awareness. Yeah. And you learn, you learn as you go through, like at the beginning of my career, I was all about the micro. So I was all about the detail and I learned how to communicate on the job by mirroring other people's behavior that I could see in the room. I was like, okay, so this is how this works. You know, you're a junior and you're just watching how it all happens and you pick up on the best ways in which to communicate ideas from others. So I think being an excellent listener and one thing, if I could say, to be a good designer, you have to be a sponge. You have to soak it all up every day of the week. I'm like the meanest parent. I never let my kids look at iPads. I'm like, when we're in the car, look out the window you're going to learn tons of stuff. I'm like, on the motorway, you learn about the way things are signed, the way the road is laid out, the different design of cars and the geographical landscape. I'm like, just look around and be a sponge and soak it all up. And that is how it is in the world of work. Like I went into work. I was fascinated. It was nothing I knew about, really. I was surrounded by all these people that had had a different educational experience to me, totally different skill sets. But very quickly, I learned my place within it. And what I brought to Seville Peach at that time was an understanding of how to put things together in an interior design sense. I had a really strong sense of colour. And I think I was just really, really enthusiastic. And I think people would say that one of my strong points is communication. So my ability to listen and to express my thoughts calmly and directly is what got me through there. The thing I love most about my job is the talent that I work with, because you always employ people that are better at something, right? I'm not the expert of everything on the team. I work on a macro level now, and then I have different graphic designers. I didn't study graphic design. It's new to me, but I have to lead that team. Well, they're the experts in it. I'm just guiding them within the project sense. So I just love working with different talents. That is a fantastic bit of advice. I'm going to just move on a little bit now to the future of design. You know, we're wanting to inspire a new generation of designers and there's problems today that we need to solve and there's going to be problems in the future that we need to solve. So what do you think are the biggest opportunities and challenges maybe for designers moving forward and into the future? I think really... There are many, but just talking from our own experience, we can go broad perspective, but I think it's more meaningful if we talk relative to what I'm doing now. During the process of COVID, we needed to make a huge flip in what we designed. So we went as a team from designing physical environments where our students learn, sleep, etc., to completely virtual spaces where they don't sleep but they do learn and we had to learn that very quickly now I'm a very 2D person I'm slightly older than my team so it was a learning curve for me and we definitely had experts in the team that were working with VR and AR but technological advances are incredible and they are tools with which we can explain what we are planning to do in a much more cohesive way, no doubt. I think what I find 
difficult, and I can only talk from a personal perspective here, about those advances in technology and how quickly they advance is that the speed with which technology makes things happen. So if we were making a virtual environment, like the speed with which we can whip that thing up is incredible. But what it does is it puts a huge amount of time pressure on you as a designer for your brain to work as fast as that computer. I mean, also, if you just think about the fact that people have access to you all of the time. And I think COVID and being online all the time just escalated that tenfold, hundredfold. You know, people are just calling you, what's the answer to this question? It's like, ah, I have to answer it now, like online. I can't think, I need to draw it first. And technology, the pressure on you to answer questions and come to solutions quickly is quite tough. And I think in that process, the challenge is, the sort of design integrity and having the ability to really work through an idea and not just feel like you need to deliver it in line with the speed with which you can build it virtually. While you were talking there, I was thinking about how perhaps technology and people that are really great at making virtual models of things, you know, can sometimes miss out on that opportunity to design iteratively, it's very easy to try and jump to the conclusion these days. Technology can help you get there, right? Good and bad there, I It's good and bad. Like AI can do all the thinking for you. It can process all the data. But the danger in that is that you're not processing the data. You're not processing the brief. It's being done for you. So you may lose the nuances of a design as a result. And I think that's the bit that, you know, we're learning, we're learning as a team, because now we're building a huge amount of virtual teaching environments. Is this an environment to experience with VR or augmented reality, and you're kind of sitting in a classroom? Is it that kind of environment? Yeah, absolutely. So EF always, they have a whole department, EdTech, which is pushing the needle on ways in which you learn. I mean, I think one of the important things about EF is they have a lot of different types of learning. So this is just one part of it. Another part is complete cultural immersion in a physical space. But we did begin to create, it was as a consequence of not having people in the classroom. We had already been working online in China. So that was something different. But suddenly we had to move like university students into virtual environments to study because they were all locked in their halls of residence in various different countries. I mean, I can't imagine how awful that must have been. So to make these really immersive environments in which they could learn. And some of them were backdrop based. And then we just advanced it more and more. And we still are doing that. I think what was really interesting as we started on that project was that the spaces that we were making were very unreal. And obviously my whole design being is like everything should be in context. So trying to create context in an empty space. So in our physical space, we always have a point of reference, right? If we're building a new building, it has a geographical location and a cultural landscape that you sort of feed off. When you're working in a virtual space, it's like, what's the view out the window? It can be anywhere. What does the customer need to see? So whilst we were 
building these spaces in a tech sense, which was sort of easy to do, my whole vision for it was like, how do you create human experience within this? How do you create a sense of memory or a sense of context within a virtual environment? And we experimented with it for good or bad. And we used tropes within our different environments that would maybe give like a bit of an emotional response or they would hark back to the history of the company. Like in all of our spaces, we had a little Swedish horse because the company is founded in Sweden. So there were like these odd objects. There were views out of windows and you looked out and you were looking at Cambridge, for example. And We were trying to bring in sort of real context into virtual environments, which was very different from what other people were doing because their environments were kind of void of reality and were all based on the content that you were trying to express or the learning material. So we're still kind of going through that. I imagine it's going to become designing for, I guess, the metaverse. I've always designed with physical constraints and when you get into that area there are none but I think what you're saying there and what you've experienced is there does still need to be something which sparks an emotional response with someone. Yeah that's basically it to have a sort of immersed experience within the kind of digital world there needs to be some sort of embedded experiences or stories or culture in there but that's me because I'm all about the tangible because I've always worked in physical environments and it's a very interesting journey to go on we're working in the metaverse now I would say I don't fully understand it (laughs) yet (laughs) and I think to make it a very viable experience for our students it needs to be incredibly authentic and to get to that point it is quite hard but you know this is the way the world is going so I think these are the challenges I mean one challenge amongst many others but I think to pick out something that's a challenge for the future, I'm really glad we talked about that, actually, because yeah. I can see that playing a big role in design moving forward. Absolutely. I mean, we ain't going backwards. This is the way that we're absolutely going. And it will happen within my career lifetime. You know, we're cracking on a bit now. You know, that's sooner rather than later. Unfortunately. <laughs> so I guess uh, just to kind of sum up on that point, if you're someone that's really interested in that, area then that does maybe mean you've got a design area to go into absolutely and I think VR and AR it's like twofold in my understanding which is one it's a way of communicating ideas really well to clients that's not something we have to do within our job because we're an in-house team so we don't actually present our ideas that often we are the creator of it and we just make them happen. It's quite unusual. The way in which you use these technologies to communicate for you and help you communicate, but there's also the world in which they are the built environment. They are the finished product. You are designing a virtual space, not a physical space anymore. Wow. Who'd have thought you'd be saying that 10 years ago? I know. (laughs) Something which kind of prompted me to start this podcast in the first place is the the notion of diversity in the vocation of design. Yeah. So considering gender and race, yeah. really interesting to ask you this question because you've worked with design teams all around the world and lots of designers, I guess you, yeah. you've had experience with. What are your kind of gut reaction feelings on how diverse 
design as a vocation is. Okay, I'll try not to go on a mad rant here. But because my career, predominantly, I was an interior designer within an architectural world. So I worked at Seville Peach. Seville is a woman. We were very often the only women in the room. And if you look at the top 100 architects, which I track every year, it's only really in the last two years that it's getting into double digits. So I would say there are more women working in interior design than architecture at a high level, for sure. But is any job or industry really diverse? I would find it hard pushed to find one that treats all people equally. And I try as an employer to create a team that reflects not actually a local community because we're a global team, but that reflects our global reach. And we do have a balance of lots of different backgrounds and different genders. That's just a consequence of how we employ globally, but it's still not diverse enough. I think for me, and I don't feel like I have the right to talk about it with any true understanding of it. But I think that race equality within architecture and design is and opportunities for diversity are actually even more difficult than gender. That's my take. But however, I do work in lots of different countries and that changes things. We had a team in China up until two years ago. We have teams all around the world. So I think within the role of design, we've got a lot of work to do is where I will park that without going too deep into it. Because I look at my own team and I think diversity is an issue. I don't actually know the reasons for that because we put out job posts and the people apply and then, you know, you work with the talent that you've got there. You only have so much control over how diverse your team is as an employer. It's about how people find their way to applying for yeah. roles in design. And let me talk about that for a moment, actually, because I can't talk about diversity. You know, I'm a white woman, but I grew up in a working class area, working class immigrant parents. And there was not an opportunity for me at that point to study architecture. That was not on the table. And that was more to do with class over me being a woman at that point growing up in the 70s and 80s. You know, and that's what we're talking about. Students getting access to information that will help them understand what they want to be when they're older and where their talents lie. It's a tricky one. You're asking me tricky questions, Kieran. I can only talk from personal experience. And I know that being the only woman in the room all the time was a challenge. And I now work in a company which is not design-led, although we are a design team within that company. And one of the reasons I work there is because over 60% of their senior staff are female. Well, and I guess on that note, what I will say is you hopefully are making a contribution to helping people see what roles they can get into and have some visibility of how to get into design. So for that, an enormous thank you. Well, no, I love it. I feel very passionate about that. That's one of the things that I love about my job is being able to get people to come and be part of it.
Well, Fiona, I've really enjoyed our conversation. And like I say, I think there's lots of gems in there for people to take some advice from if they are interested in a career in design. And I will therefore say thank you again and goodbye until next time. Thanks, Kieran. Nice to see you.